Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Good morning, everyone out there. Welcome to Voice America and welcome to this hour uh, with me. Today, as with every week, we continue the conversation. Uh, You all know uh, out there who have tuned in for the past few months that I am particularly interested in these questions, you know, about what makes us human, um, about what does it mean to exist as a human being in this life, in this world. I hope that this series of conversations uh, has brought thoughts and ambitions in you who listen, thoughts about what, um, what makes you human, and ambitions about how to be fully um, human, how to treat others as the full, beautiful, wonderful humans that they are, even when they don't act like it, and or even when they have forgotten that they are capable of it. You know, it's, um, it's not my intention for this show, nor is it my strength uh, on this show or, or in my work generally to offer answers, recipes, directives about this business of being human. I want to pose questions. I believe that that is the value of, of this show and of my work, of my being. I want to pose questions that spur you onto your own questioning about life. Um, to spur questioning that hopefully sets you onto a good quest in your life, in, in living. Um, so questions that I raise, that's what this is for. Uh, in addition to that, you know, I also offer you human beings, beautiful, courageous, passionate, alive human beings, people whose uh, humanity offers us for one hour each week, some answer to the question that the show poses. You know, each of my guests may rightfully be considered uh, a great expert in their field, in their pursuit. And uh, you may think that um, their expertise, their academic qualifications or their achievements uh, in the world are the reason that I invite them um, onto the show. That is one small part of it, only one small part, because after all, that is what this culture wants, you know, or encourages us to want the content, the answer. But I seek out my guests not just for what they know, but mostly for how they came to their knowledge about life and for how they are living it out, how they continue to inhabit, to live out that knowledge about life, about being human. So for one hour, we talk, my guest and I, and I never know, you know, really where the the conversation would take us, but I do count on the fact that I want to know how this other person thinks. I want to learn how she lives. And I count on the fact that I want to connect with her. I feel I trust that that is the most important of all. And I count on the fact that this other person um, has said yes to me. 
um, to one hour of life with me, that she trusts my desire and that she has said yes to her own desire to connect with me in whichever way that she defines that, that connection. And that is what we have as a starting fundamental point. And that is what we have in life, in this life also, with one another. You know, the, the desire to know, to hear, to speak, to touch, to, to be heard also by another person. Um, and and, and to, um, to be able to honor and trust that desire. And we go from there. You know, the rest is is timing, effort, and just dumb luck, <laughs> how this connection goes. So my guest today uh, is the fellow psychologist and a very seasoned psychoanalyst. She's based in New York City, where I also live and work. She has spent decades uh, studying and treating children and teaching about childhood and human development at various um, institutes in the city and at Columbia University. She knows this stuff. Um, and uh, she's just right now, for example, getting a, a book out soon on adoption. Um, and uh, she teaches and she publishes and she gives speeches and so on, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you can look her up and you can look up her bio. But I want to talk to her and let you know her a bit because most importantly she is alive and she is human she does things with humanity she puts her humanity to use to better serve the community and to help people better serve themselves and one another and um, so that's really uh, why I, I, I went after her and asked her to give me one hour. Uh, so today I want to ask uh, Billy, Billy Pivnik, you know, a very broad and hefty question, and we'll unpack that, which is, and the question is, you know, we humans have the longest, one of the longest gestational periods of most species, right? And uh, the span of our childhood, of the period of time of, of our dependency, of the period when we are deemed incapable of, of surviving on our own, that span of time is quite long um, compared to other animals. So what goes on during that period of time where we are supposedly preparing or prepared by, by society and by our caretakers to become a person, to become a fully functioning, autonomous, um, capable human being. So what happens in that period of time? So that's really what, what I want uh, to ask uh, uh, Billy. So uh, Billy, welcome uh, to the show. You were a little bit daunted by the question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I said, let's just have fun, you know. <laughs> How are you this morning? I'm well, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, it was really very um, refreshing to hear your introduction uh, because oh? um, it is so um, you, obviously, and also so human, uh, you know, that we all are just kind of being on the earth together and um, you can put all kinds of words and, and definitions on the experience, which we do to feel some control. Um, but um, really, being born, being born with an E, uh, you know, um, taken mm-hmm. care of by um, the people who uh, are our families and, and um, you know, friends, uh, 
is um, a process of being with one another. And uh, so you and I are going to be with each other while we have this conversation together. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, it's, it's beautiful the way language works because, yes, we are born. We pop out. We're born. B-O-R-N. Mm-hmm. And immediately mm-hmm. after that act, we are born, right, as you said, with an E, by, by yeah. the nurse, by the midwife, and then by our, most of the time, by our mother uh, immediately. Mm-hmm. And as you said, that act of being born by one another and by another human being continues on through life. But I, my question is, you know, and I, 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 mean, I, I can spend the rest of my life thinking and looking at it, that act of being born changes over time, gets embellished, elaborated, or corrupted, mm-hmm. or abandoned, right? And that's what makes mm-hmm. us, what makes or breaks a life, I believe. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the reason that I felt daunted by your question is because, um, you know, I'm answering it in paragraphs and chapters with, you know, eight levels of definition for every Mm -hmm. word. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to boil it down to really my experience now, um, because I think that that's probably the most useful thing that Mm -hmm. people will take away from from, uh, our conversation. And, um, you know, I think when... When we, when we grow in life, right, we're both maturing and we are learning things um, about our environment, people and things, right, and meanings. Um, so it's both a biological experience and a very social experience um, and always an interactive experience. So mm-hmm. even when the infant is, when the embryo um, is developing, there's an interaction between the embryo and the um, environment within the mother. Mm-hmm. And that environment expands, right, after the baby's born. And it's full of all kinds of sensory experiences always. But at the beginning, those sensory experiences are really the most important thing that an infant takes in, the sounds the sights, uh, the smells, mm-hmm. the kinesthetic experience of touch. And um, out of those um, experiences, they're, they're developing um, templates in their minds for, for what the world, for expectations of what the world is going to be like. Mm. And um, we seem to have temperamental dispositions uh, for how to handle these kinds of stimuli coming in from the environment, and also how to handle the stimuli coming in from our own um, organs and viscera. Um, And so who we become as a personality um, has to do with um, these kind of characteristic ways of functioning. Um, And the functioning is always geared toward adapting. Right? We're in a strange mm. world. We always are having to change ourselves to accommodate what's out there. You know, we, mm-hmm, we have mm-hmm. an inborn rhythm maybe, like, you know, babies are born with the, um, an innate rhythm generator that causes, like, the legs to move so that they can eventually learn to walk. Mm-hmm. But, we learn, but the, the, the legs have to meet the ground in order for walking to happen. Mm-hmm, right? So we're mm-hmm, always mm-hmm. in interaction, and mm-hmm. um, and I guess... 
And can I ask, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. because this is a point that I, I try to impress throughout the show also, that we are inherently, intrinsically agentive creatures. The legs are, are born to walk. It seeks yes. the ground. You know, we, we have yes. this inborn capacity and striving to survive, to meet the external world. Correct. Right. And then, okay. you know, the external world um, is different in different places. So there are different kinds of, you know, what the, um, what the scientists would call um, niches, right, in, in the world. So some babies are born on hilly ground. Some have a flat surface that they learn to walk on. Some are born in watery kinds of environments and learn to swim very early. I mean, so the, what's provided is pretty broad and pretty diverse, and yet we manage to adapt to all these different kinds of environments, mm-hmm. different languages, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're pretty resilient that way, and there's a yeah. lot of creativity as a result of the interaction between what we bring and what we receive. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And the creativity, I think, is really what makes us the most human, um, that hmm. we are constantly creating our response. Yes, we have characteristic ways that we tend to want to respond, but we're constantly making choices um, to do different things and, um, and to change when we come up against obstacles. And mm-hmm. I, that's what I'm, I think it's the creativity that really defines what it is to be human. Hmm. Hmm. What... You know, you talk about there's so many, there's a diversity in the environmental factors and what we have to deal with and, and how we can meet that. Can you, you know, through the many years of, um, of observing children and, and seeing lives unfold, do you think that there's one or two fundamental elements that we cannot do without, that we absolutely need in this adaptational task? Uh Apart from food and water and that sort of biological oh, yeah. survival, of course. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the attachment bond is utterly crucial. Um, and uh, I say that in a very scientific way, but... Um, you mean you love? Know, I think... Pardon? You mean love in layman's term, in human terms? Yeah, yeah, love, care... Um, security, I guess is even a better word, mm-hmm. that um, we develop a sense of security in our um, environment, and we do that by taking in and remembering and being able to use the kinds of care and holding that our parents give us. You know, the way they treat us is how we learn how to treat ourselves and other people. Mm-hmm. And, and we rely, in, right? We rely pardon? on that sense, and and we we rely on that internalized basic sense of safety of 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 love when we are faced with terrible, catastrophic things. Correct. It's one of the reasons why when you see an infant crying, you you know your impulse is to pick up the infant and comfort right. her, right? Right. Um, right. It's right. just part of our human equipment, mm-hmm. and. You know, not every family provides it as well as others, right? Mm-hmm. Some are mm-hmm. kind of anxious about those needs that a baby might have. Some are too smothering. 
you know, so that the baby should never feel any discomfort. And But t- together, the baby and the mom negotiate um, a kind of balance where they can um, work toward both feeling secure and having the freedom to um, and curiosity um, to explore the environment uh, and to because we need to explore in order to master the world. Right? Uh-huh. So each mother and child pair will come up with a different way of doing that, balancing right. those needs. Right. Um, and well, you, you right, need to explore, to, to get up on your legs and walk out and around in the playground to master the world. But I yeah. think also you need to bump up against the world to find out who you are. Absolutely. I can remember when my younger son was, um, oh, I don't know, maybe he was eight or nine, and he was playing ice hockey at the time, and he'd finally reached the age where they were allowed to check the other kids, you know, to bump up against them. And mm-hmm. after the game, he was just beaming. He came up to me and he said, Mom, I live to check. <laughs> <laughs> and did he say, more what that's about? Is, is it well, about feeling it about. the strength <laughs> of his body, about knowing what his body can do? Or about the other yeah, person? Yeah, clearly it was about, um, yeah, feeling those limits, feeling his power. But this was a kid who temperamentally was kind of up in his head a lot. You know, he mm-hmm. used to love mm-hmm. to think about things. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. exhilaration, I think, of discovering that he could bump up against people and it was fun and not scary, uh, I think was part of what he was responding to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so, we're going to have to break uh, so soon in, in, in about 30 seconds. So I want to, when we come back, you know, I want to ask you more, Billy, about this thing of, of uh, discovering yourself, you know, that process of discovering what uh, what we are in the world and what we can do and, and what you think about how important that is to our survival. You know, why? Why do we need to find out to know who we are, what we can do in order to to make it out there? Mm. Okay? So mm. we'll be right yeah, back, everyone, question. for a brief okay. commercial break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. 
Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right. Welcome back, everyone. So before the break, uh, and I just want to summarize to capture uh, to capture it because um, in, in case the point gets lost, Billy was saying was answering my question about what she thinks is the one essential fundamental thing that we humans need in our adaptational process in our uh, in our task to survive, and she said it's basically the attachment bond that we have uh, with our caretaker, um, love. Love for, love by, love with another human being. That's what we need to survive. And then we went on to kind of talk a little bit more about what that love allows us to do, how it allows us to get up on our legs, you know, and then go out there and bump out against ourselves against the world. So, Billy, I, so do you have a chance to reflect on, on that second question I asked you about, you know, that act, that process of discovering and knowing ourselves, how, how does that work in helping us survive? Why do we need to discover and know ourselves in order to make it? Or maybe, well, you know, you've seen this. I'm going to try and boil it down, okay? Um, I think that the thing that, that helps us navigate through the world are two things. One is memory, and another is making meaning. Uh, and I guess to know, you know where we, we were, something about the future. But pardon, right. knowing where we've been, right? Right, and, right. And and helping and and knowing who we are grows out of remembering where we've been and what we've experienced, right? And, and that we touch base with that in order to make decisions, right? Okay. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many choices. How do I know what I want? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to base that partly on what I've had in the past that I've enjoyed, that's given me pleasure, or, mm-hmm. you know, that's taught me an important lesson or something like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, when you say um, making so meaning, of- I mean, uh, to, to, to make sense of what happened, right? And to to, yep. to have... To be able to make connections between yeah, well, the, the disparate example. events. So um, there was a popular movie out in this um, in the U.S. Uh, in the last few months called "Identical Strangers" about triplets who were separated at birth and mm-hmm. eventually given mm-hmm. up for adoption to three different families, and it's a whole story. But um, you know, part of what they were trying to understand, play with in the documentary 
was about nature and nurture, which is more important, right? This is a mm-hmm. very long-standing debate uh, for people who study the development of people. Mm-hmm. And um, in the field of developmental psychology, that research has actually moved on to far more um, challenging questions. But basically what they have decided is that the difference between twins or triplets um, has to do with the meaning they've made out of their experience. Even if they've got the identical biology, even if they've got the identical experiences in their lives, um, what grows, what makes, um, what accounts for how they mature and develop and grow through life is Mm -hmm. what they've made of those experiences, what they've taken them to mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and then the right, and the choices that they make about for their in their lives according to that meaning. Correct, correct. So, you know, I think we've all had the experience of our children thinking, uh, you know, we as the same people are are two completely different people depending on the child. Right, mm-hmm. one thinks mm-hmm. the parent is loving and and generous, and the other thinks the parent is mean and stingy. Right. Right, um, right. Uh, and that has to do with meaning that they've made out of their experiences um, mm-hmm. that's different. Right. And, right. and then you go on, according to that, to that meaning, you go on to either open yourself up and invite peop- more people into your life, for example, or to mm-hmm. devise a lot of self-protection, right? And to mm-hmm. be kind of stingy yourself uh, mm-hmm. in, in your choices and in your connections with people. You listen to fear and distrust or you listen to to generosity. That's yep. just an example. I'm following what you're saying. And yep. um, But then what helps someone make meaning? When you work with young children, you know, you must see mm-hmm. that process, right, in its um, emergence. What, what do you see about what helps children make meaning? Good meaning, useful meaning. Well, okay, so here it comes back to love, right? Um, Tell me. Um, well, okay, I'm going to give you an example of an interaction I had with my grandson when he was very young, a couple months old, maybe a month old, um, uh-huh. and, and through the first few months of his life. Um, obviously, I adored him. And as mothers and grandmothers and infants do, and I will not leave the fathers and grandfathers out of this, it's not a gendered experience, we play with infants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the human and interaction starts in play, and if we're lucky, continues in play. So I very much wanted to play with him. And he didn't speak, and he didn't really do too much moving, uh, except with his arms. You know, he was in one of those little baby seat things or laying down. So I started playing a game with his hands and feet and singing a song. This is um, not something I learned in psychology graduate school. It's part of our human equipment, right? Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I, I was just, um, you know, I was going, tickle toes, tickle toes, tickle toes, you know, and moving his feet open and closed and all around. And he was cracking up which made me crack up, right, which made him crack up, and the whole thing was just so much fun. And Uh so part of what um, the meaning I was hoping he was going to take out of that 
was that relationships can be fun. Mm. And you can mm-hmm. want to be with another person. And that when you look in someone else's eyes or when you hear a song, it's going to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside and, um, you know, want to laugh. Mm-hmm. So come the next time, you know, one of the next times that I saw him, I was hoping he would remember. And I got this kind of blank look and I'm like, hmm, what is it, you know, that he's seeing there? And, oh, no, maybe he's forgotten me. And so I said, are you my Tickle Toes? And as soon as he heard Tickle Toes, that was it. Then we reconnected and he remembered me, going back to Mm -hmm. memory. So Mm -hmm. the memory and meaning kind of interact, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so out of this comes, uh, you know, he started saying, right, whenever he would see Mm. me. And I was, Uh what I realized, and you're right, he's a few months older by now, um, was that he was trying to say tickle toes, right? And, you know, babies right. can't do that first little sound. Right. Uh, and so it was like his way of greeting me. So you right. see the beginning of language developing there. So you see mm-hmm. at the basis of language is that game, is that face, is that laughter that we had together, right? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. also, you know, it, it became a signal and a greeting between us. And, of course, it became my name. I became Atta Atta. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. Right? <laughs> right. And, right? And to this day, he's now like three and a half. You know, I'll go, are you my tickle toes? And he'll just crack up. Uh-huh. Um, so it, the, the, um, how we become people is so infused with play and good feeling and closeness and touch. Um, and it's really hard to describe in psycho- <clears throat> psychological terms. You know, we create psychological terms. Like, you know, in psychoanalysis, we have this idea that there are moments of meeting. So that, uh-huh. that play with my grandson was a way, you know, we, it was a moment where we met in a kind of deep, mm-hmm. deep way. Right? And, and he discovered those experiences. Pardon? Yeah. And he in that moment where you and he met, he he, mm-hmm. he discovered the world. The world as yes. as brought to him through you. But I think yeah. he also discovered himself as this beloved creature yes. in your eyes. Yes. Very much so. And that's what he he, he kept. I'm sure, in his body, in his toes, and carried on. Right, and that's, that's the meaning he made of it, right? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, some crazy lady is playing with my toes and making me laugh, you know, and eventually uh-huh. that comes to be the grandmother, and, and, but he's seeing himself as capable of producing that laughter in me, too. Yeah, so... Um, yeah. And that so you're saying... a sense of himself... As the sense of person. himself, right, as not just, just love, but also as capable of delighting you, mm-hmm. right? And that seems so yeah. important, too, that we forget that children are, um, how should I say this, the sense of themselves as loving, 
is is so yeah. powerful too. That's what I see, you know, in in the children that that I observe. For them to know, not just that they are loved or great, you know, we're so in this culture. I see it. I can't stand it. The the, the current American mm-hmm. culture of the positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you are great. Here's a gold star yeah. for sneezing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think that we neglect to call their attention and to help them on the fact that they are capable of loving. Yeah, that's what makes them feel lovable. Um, and also, yeah, loving, you know, that they produce good feeling in other people. That make, That's what makes you feel like a good person, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Can you say a little bit more about that? This is a very important point. The connection between knowing that you are loving and that you are lovable. Because I see that, you know, in my practice with adult patients, I see that again and again as one of the the most hurtful uh, deficiency, the sense of themselves as not lovable and and, and to not be in touch with their own capacity to love. Yeah, it's so sad, right? Um, it's so basic to being human. You know, we all are capable of love and being loved. And I think that, you know, what happens developmentally is um, when we're very, very young, we um, can't cognitively manage two opposite feelings at the same time. So it's very hard to both love someone and hate someone at the same time. Mm-hmm. And... So what we tend to do is we have some relationships where we feel like we're really loving and others love us and other relationships where we're more focused on that, you know, the ungenerous side, the mean feelings. And we think that person is mean because we're feeling mean. And um, we don't see that the same person is the, you know, the, the mother that's frustrating you by not feeding you when you want to be fed is the same mother who's comforting you and singing you a lullaby and rubbing mm-hmm. your back to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But eventually with development, what happens is that we learn how to um, use at the very same time we're frustrated that someone is not feeding us or caring for us or present um, to make us feel secure. Um, we're able to, to remember that image of, Oh, Atta Atta, the one who makes me feel tickled. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're able to combine that, okay, she would tell me that I'm going to be okay right now, even though I'm so frustrated. She would tell me if it's just a few minutes before I get to have, you know, the thing that I want. And mm-hmm. we start to then be able to carry that with us and mm-hmm. see the world and people in a more complicated way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mm-hmm. happen for everyone, and it doesn't happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Meaning that, okay, you know, she can be frustrated with me, right, and refusing mm-hmm. me uh, what I need in this moment, but, but to be able to trust and remember and trust that, well, she also is the one who always shows up at the playground to pick me up, you yep. know, or she's the one who gets up in the middle of the night, you know, uh, with a hot bottle and so on. Now, I, I want to ask you about this thing of being unable uh, when we're young, to hold both, you know, feelings, the good and the bad, uh-huh. Uh-huh. about the other person. But also, uh, it's tricky in ourselves, too, that, you know, at any yeah. moment, right, we can be terrible, hateful, ugly, and also 
right? Generous, beautiful, talented, creative, lovable. <laughs> and I think that I think that that's what I see in the people that I work with. You know, the um, they did not get the help in holding in reconciling both sides of them of their experience. Mm-hmm. Right, and only yeah. going with yeah. one side, and 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 really suffering when the other side, when the ugly side emerges, and and berating themselves, and and despairing, and doing a lot of terrible things to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Um, do, what what do what is the help that children can get, that we can get in reconciling, in tolerating? You know these two sides of ourselves: the the not so perfect and the the the, the generous, creative, loving side. Is it tolerance? Well, you know, I don't know about your experience with your children, but I remember when my children were very young that I used to say very frequently, "I, you know, I see that you're angry at me. It's fine for you to be angry, and I love you anyway. You know, I love you even though you're angry at me." Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually they start to get the idea that you can both love someone and be angry at them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, your behavior has to go along with that. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. still giving them their lunch, right, <laughs> rather than locking mm-hmm. them in a room if you really want that message to get through. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's restraining them in order to show them you love them, right, if they're doing something mm-hmm. destructive to make sure they don't run into the street even if they want to chase their ball. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. You know, it works, right? Any kind of complex operation like that. But this has to do with the brain's capacity to tolerate complexity. And, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things that matures over time in development, uh, mm-hmm. that we, we, be able to, we, we become able to handle more information at one time. And so sometimes we just grow out of these kinds of stuck, um, you know, all good or all bad kind of experiencing of people. Uh, Mm -hmm. And sometimes therapy helps with that. You know, we Mm -hmm. tell these horrible traumatic experiences to a therapist who treats us in a loving, caring way and who witnesses with us these, these very painful experiences. And suddenly the experiences really aren't quite so unbearable anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we've been loved even while we're experiencing such fear and, mm-hmm. and pain. Mm-hmm. Because we have been born, right? Yeah, exactly. By, by, by another. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you know, I, I listen to this and, and, uh, and I'm thinking about what's going on currently in American society. And I want to ask you, I, we, we, I want to talk about this when we come back. This thing about the help that we need and our inability at times to, to, to tolerate both the good and the bad, you know, and, and mm. to figure out a way to inhabit and express the complexity of who we are. Because I see that that is, that, that is an utter failure right now in America. So, I, you know, so I want to take what mm. we're talking about in childhood, the developmental task in childhood, and talk a little bit about what's going on right now. All right, we'll be right back, people. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? 
Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right, welcome back everyone to the third and final segment of the hour. So what I have learned so far from my conversation with Billy to sum to sum it up is we need love to survive, people. So simple. As simple as that. And we it helps to know, you know that we are lovable and to know to be able to trust in our capacity to be loving, to be a creative, loving force in the world. And to get to that place, to that sense of ourselves as good and capable and loved and trustworthy um, and trusting, uh, Billy was talking about the capacity, you know, to reconcile different sides of ourselves and different sides, different aspects of the world and different complex, sometimes contradictory things in our relationships and our world. You know, to be able to, to, to hold on to the complexity and to hold on to a consistent, stable sense of ourselves in spite of all the contradictions and complexities and adversities that happen. So I want to ask Billy about, uh, you know, what, what, what is the thing um, well, actually, no. What I see, Billy, as I was ta- listening to you describe, you know, this this thing of complexity and the failure to behold it, I'm thinking immediately about what's going on in America right now. You know, we as a nation, uh, we are behaving like a traumatized, um, dumb child. 
and I use dumb in the sense of not being capable of, right, of, 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 of beholding complexity, not be able to make use of our minds and our hearts. <laughs> so how do you think from a developmental perspective, what happened? What brought us, America, to this traumatized dumb point where we cannot tolerate complexity, right? Where it's like either good or bad, uh, this or that, hateful or loving, winner or loser. You know, what happened to us, do you think? Uh, in a word, I would say 9-11. And, the trauma, uh, the original trauma. Yeah, just, um, you know, that may sound glib and it may sound cliche and out of date, but I'm speaking from my experience of having been the consulting psychologist to um, the design team for the National September 11th Memorial Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and d- over a period of seven years, I had the opportunity uh, to listen to many tape recordings, to see many artifacts, to hear many stories, to experience many points of view about 9-11, the event, Mm -hmm. and then to try and help the designers come up with a way to tell those stories in a museum. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I discovered in doing this and sitting in on the design team meetings was that very often we would get stuck and more concrete or more dumb, as you would, you, as you would put it, you know, more mm-hmm. unable to manage complexity and nuance when um, there was some feeling that we didn't want to know about, that we didn't mm. want to re-experience. So at the mm. beginning, it might have been shock. At another point, it might have been the hostility that was involved in slamming a plane into those buildings. You know, mm-hmm. all of these troublesome feelings we had human defenses against, and we right. blocked out their the museum a safe, secure place for the visitors so they wouldn't be re-traumatized if they'd, you know, been around on 9-11, and so much of the world saw it even on TV, even if they weren't in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, so every time we'd become aware of what that feeling was that we were blocking out, we would have to bring it back into the story. We'd have to put it into words. We'd have to find a way of representing it so that it didn't, um, you know, uh, kind of blindside us. Mm-hmm. And, but um, so I'm, I'm aware of the effect of even telling a story about a traumatic incident to one another. Uh, the effect it has on the other people um, mm-hmm. that, that are listening, that are engaged in conversation, uh, that are looking at the materials. So um, I um, was, and, you know, part of the museum's purpose was to um, memorialize what happened, right? And again, mm-hmm. this goes back to memory and meaning making, um, to create a way to remember together, not just to mourn, not just to say the facts of what happened, not just to watch those TV images over and over and over, but to remember in a way that is meaningful and is done together with other people because a trauma like that um, severs the social links between people and among Mm -hmm. groups of people. 
Um, yes. And sometimes that's as concrete as you can no longer cross from this part of the city to that part of the city because there's a big pile of rubble in the middle. Uh, but often it's about just the kinds of conversations you can have about it. I think we need to go to war. I think we need to mourn. I think we need to, you know, whatever. So We need there, to keep Muslims out of the country. You know, we need to register Arabs uh, versus we need to be more educated about other worlds. You know, yes, I, I know. I, I understand what you mean. But yeah. You know the diversity of opinion. And mm -hmm. unless there's a lot of attention paid to reconnecting those social links, which mm -hmm. was what we hoped we could do in a museum, but of course a museum mm -hmm. is one building in a whole world, right? And mm -hmm. not everyone is there at the same time. What happens is you get this fragmentation, social fragmentation, and the polarization that um, I think we're experiencing as a country. And, so the polarization uh, is the result of the failure to piece it together, to, to pull together these different disparate, right, complex Well, to remember, to remember with feeling and represent mm -hmm. to one another what the loss was, what the mm -hmm. fear was, what mm -hmm. the um, resulting effect was on our, psych our psychic, psychic state um, mm -hmm. of being, you know, to mm -hmm. go back to where we started. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. to, be, to bear together um, what the meaning was of this event. And you saw at the beginning after the attacks, you know, People from all over the world reached out to us. They were yes. so loving. They sent us gifts. They sent us teams of people to help, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, within a very few months, um, our government decided that the thing to do was to go to war and to retaliate. Yes. Right. And, right. Um, right. And mm -hmm. not just retaliate, but to, you know, react so strongly that it could never happen again. To annihilate. And to, Yeah. And uh, and so what got activated in the world was all this annihilation anxiety, to use your word, mm -hmm. uh, and that reproduces the trauma. So it just keeps looping. And when mm -hmm. people are traumatized, they don't think well, they don't talk to one another. We know mm -hmm. from studies after World War II, you know, that the kind of um, meaninglessness that grows out of a post-war situation, or act actually even after World War I, which is what led up to World War II, um, mm -hmm. that, kind of, um, that that sense of meaninglessness and feeling lost uh, creates incoherent group processes. So mm -hmm. um, you get either following a demagogic leader, which you know, one could say that's what's happening now, or you get lone wolf terrorists you know, kind of breaking off from the group and doing mm -hmm. their own thing, uh, mm -hmm. and it's very hard to hold the group process together. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, happening at a national level. And just, you know, kind of the loops keep getting bigger and bigger and more and more pervasive. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, you know, I, you want, know, it's yeah, I want to pull... I'm sorry, I want to pull out something very important that you said. I, I don't want the listeners to lose this very simple, basic fact, which is that when a person suffers a blow, when there is a trauma, an attack, you know, the reaction is people don't cry when they feel hurt, right? They either shut down mm -hmm. or they strike mm -hmm. out, 
at first. Mm-hmm. You know, the crying, the mourning, the grieving is actually much later on and is a very sophisticated right. process. So uh, either shutting down or, or striking out because it is very painful to stay in that wounded place, even though mm-hmm. you need to stay in that wounded place, right? To remember, to make sense, to connect mm-hmm. in order to grow and to truly heal. And you're saying that mm-hmm. that is the failure, that you are seeing a reaction of either shutting down, withdrawing, or striking out in order to 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 deny that sense of, of hurt. I think I would make it even a little more complex than that, Leanne, although I think you're doing a really good job of trying to get at that point. Um, and that is that there needs to be more of a balance. It isn't that we shouldn't ever retaliate. It isn't that we shouldn't ever make a show of strength. But we're best doing that out of a sense of our vulnerability and out of being in touch with our tender emotions and our ability to care for one another, um, not just in this kind of, um, you know, unhinged way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just think the balance has gone off. Um, mm-hmm. And that, so now even any expression of vulnerability is greeted with derision. Which That's I think right. Is an, it's, it's an identification with the people who attacked us, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, These destructive mm-hmm. forces are somehow, we're all saying, well, they won, so, you know, they, they hurt us, so we're going to be like them, so they don't hurt us again, which is mm-hmm. what children do, right? Like with a bully right. in the schoolyard. Right, and, right, right. Right, yes. so it yes. just would be great if we could take a step back, take a pause, and... Um, really think about where this started and why it's gotten so out of control. Because I think the polarization was beginning before 9-11. But I just think that it got completely deadlocked. You know, Congress suddenly was deadlocked after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not all the cause of uh, all because of 9-11, but no one's even thinking about that connection. And mm-hmm. I just wish that could be part of the conversation a little bit more, that this is a... Right. Very complex dynamic we're living through. Yeah. But again, before we end, I, I don't want people to uh, to miss what you just said. The need to be in touch. As we're showing strength, you know, and, and adaptation and survival, mm-hmm. the need to be in touch mm-hmm. with our vulnerability, that we too mm-hmm. can be vulnerable and tender, and the need to be in touch with our connection and interdependency, right, to others mm-hmm. uh, around us, the yeah. neighbors or in the globe. Right. Instead you know, of so severing these- families, instead of, mm-hmm. you know, pulling apart families at the border, and, mm-hmm. you know, we need to help families connect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or instead of pulling ourselves away in terms of foreign policy, you know, from the rest of the world, to, to, and to right. then to remember that we depend on them too, you know, it's it's amazing how we end up at this point, uh, and we need to stop very soon, because we're talking, Billy. You just brought up nine eleven, um, and uh, so I will be able to follow up on a conversation about this national collective wound next week with an attorney uh, who has um, been involved in the past 15 years in working with prisoners in Guantanamo. And speaking Mm. of the wounded of 9-11, speaking of a testimony to how we as a nation responded to that blow, you know, how we responded to that terrible blow in September with cruelty, you know, with cruel strength. And there is that slice of humanity still in Guantanamo that people, I think, have forgotten about. And I wish to talk about that 
next week in order to remember and to still make sense of who we are. So, uh, my dear Billy, thank you very much for for being here and for sharing <laughs> with me and the listeners about what you know and for your urging to all of us towards tenderness, <laughs> towards love, right? It's, it's so simple, yeah. but, but so, so important to keep stressing that point. Love, people, it's free. It's not yeah. easy, Compassion, but <laughs> it's right? amazing. We started from somewhere. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and we're all yes. going to the same place. Uh-huh. So let's hold on to that and trust that that is the most important thing. And we can all do that at every moment, at every corner of life for ourselves and for each other. So love to you, Billy, and your family, and love to you all out there. May you live well and have a lot of love every hour of your life. And I will find you again next week. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.